Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, I'm Elliot Moss. This is Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. Our guest today is Tim Little, founder and CEO of classic luxury shoe brand Tim Little and the owner and creative director of 150-year-old shoemakers Grenson. I confess to having pairs of both. Tim fell in love with footwear as a child in the co-op in Long Eaton. When his mum took him to buy new school shoes, he'd make the assistant fetch almost every pair in the shop so he could try them on, hooked by the smell of new shoes and unwilling to make a choice till he'd found the perfect style. A decade-long career in advertising, including five years working for the client Adidas, only sharpened his passion. My dad was a lace maker, he says, with a factory in Nottingham where I grew up. I think the mix of shoes, marketing and manufacturing collided in my head and created a direction for me. He quit advertising to launch his own eponymous brand, Tim Little, which he still runs from a small shop in Chelsea. And in 2005, Tim agreed to buy struggling Northampton shoemakers Grenson, which has used the same techniques and site to make its shoes since 1895. Despite each pair of shoes taking around three weeks to craft, the business has grown threefold and now includes both women's shoes and accessories. We'll be talking to Tim in a few minutes about preserving classic manufacturing, about where he finds inspiration and his love for the blues. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, the Dave Brubeck Quartet, Professor Longhair and the Robert Glasper Experiment. That is today's Jazz Shapers. Here, as a blues fanfare for Tim, is Albert King with Born Under a Bad Sign. For bad luck, you know I won't have no luck at all. That was Albert King with Born Under a Bad Sign, a good way to start for my business shaper, Tim Little, the founder of Tim Little and the co-owner and credit director at Grenson and also a blues fan. Good morning, how are you? All right, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks, very good. It's lovely to have you here, partly because I, as I mentioned earlier, I wear your shoes, partly because you were with me at my wedding, thank you. It's a pleasure. You've been with me on... Not personally, obviously. No, but but you made something I was wearing. Yeah. And you were with me um, on many, many days uh, and many nights, actually, wearing fabulous shoes. Oh, uh. You're a shoemaker, which is a wonderful thing to do. Not many people end up doing it successfully, how do you think you've managed to get where you are now? Why has Tim Little managed to do what many other people haven't? Um, I think probably um, my background, I think you mentioned in, in the introduction that um, my background is a mixture of several things. My dad was a manufacturer. Um, my real kind of, my first 10 years of um, working was in advertising and working with, you know, big brands and promoting brands and what have you, in particular Adidas. And so I think those things came together and I had an initial love of shoes right from when I was a child. I'm not a shoemaker in the sense that I sit in a little uh, workshop knocking nails into the sole of a shoe. It's very much about a brand and it's about design and it's about that kind of thing. So 
Um, yeah, it's about the background, I think. And talking about that background, so you mentioned advertising, and we both share not just advertising, but indeed the same advertising agency, uh, Ligas Delaney, and Tim Delaney was on this program many years ago. Um, what is it about the advertising trade, do you think, at its core, that has helped you be able to create this brand, understand what consumers are like and so on? What, what do you think is it at the essence, uh, the centre of it? I think it's about uh, always understanding who you're um, making shoes for, who, you know, what your audience is. And it's about understanding this thing about the brand itself. And everything should come from and through the brand. So when we design shoes, we're always, we have a very acute sense of what Grenson is about, what people like about Grenson, what they don't like about Grenson even. But everything we do goes through this kind of filter of what we believe the Grenson brand is about. Um, and that's very much come from my days in advertising and Ligas Delaney in particular, where it was drilled into us, this belief and this understanding first about the brand that you're working with. And then from that, once you've got that, you can do all kinds of things. And how did you stumble across advertising? Because you were born in Long Eaton, in Nottingham. Yes. It's, it's not a mecca for advertising. No, it no, certainly isn't. But it's a mecca for many things, actually. It's a very in- yeah. interesting place once you know it. But, textiles, um, yeah. Textiles and things, that's right, materials um, and so on. It's in that classically central part of England and it has, yeah. has lots of history to it. But how did you end up in the world of advertising and in London and all those things? Well, um, I started completely the wrong direction. So um, at the age of kind of 16, 18, I had no clue what to do. Um, and the only thing I'd, I'd done at school was I'd got a reasonable A-level result in ma- or GCSE result in um, maths. So my dad said to me and teacher said, oh, you should be an accountant, then you can do anything. So I went to university and did accountancy, which was a complete disaster. But then rather than realising it was a disaster and changing immediately, I came out and got a job with a big accountancy firm in London, KPMG as it is now. Lasted seven weeks, but I was sharing a flat with my sister and she was at an ad agency called Lowe's in, in London. And every night I was coming home with more and more books to study and she was coming home and getting ready for another trip, another event, another ball, another whatever. And I thought, hang on a minute. I'm on the wrong train here. So I switched then and went into and got a job at Ligas Delaney. You go along, you get this job and you're an accountant. Why do you think they hired you at that moment? If you can cast your mind back to why Tim Little, the seven-week-old accountant, was hired by a creative agency. Um, Well, the first thing I did was I thought I'm not going to be able to get into the creative department because that's far too much of a leap. Um, so I went in via media. So I thought, my sister said to me, there's a, this job called media and it's kind of adverti- well, it's advertising, but it's numbers and what have you. So that could be perfect. <laughs> so um, I think they probably thought, yeah, this could be quite useful. You know, somebody who's got an accountancy degree and, and what have you. Um, it wasn't really, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a way in. And yeah. I, I, it was like I did a, a year, a year and a half in media before I switched into account management. And then again, for those people that don't know, the, the account management piece is when you look after clients and essentially yep. manage the process, as it were, and think about strategy for clients and, and, and the like. But that movement into that role then, did you think, oh, this is kind of what I want to do? Or are you still feeling your way? Because many people in advertising, there's, there's two types, one that stay forever and there's others that use it as a springboard, and you've obviously used it as a springboard. Were you pretty clear early on that it wasn't going to be forever? 
No, not at all. I think I was in heaven at that point. I mean, I'd gone from uh, accountancy and also doing accountancy and holidays from university and stuff and trying to trying to get my head around it. And walking into an ad agency, especially Ligus Delaney, which at the time was probably 50, 60 people, very creative, very sociable, very young, lots of very bright people. It was just wonderful. I loved it. And um, it wasn't until quite a lot, long time later that I ever thought about moving on. Um, I thought, this is it forever. I, I've, I've found my dream job. So let's talk about that movement into doing your own thing, because that came about sort of, I guess, eight to ten years later or so. Yeah. Were you formulating the business plan before you left, or was there a kind of, I've just got to move? What precipitated the final jump from advertising into doing your own thing? Um, I had been, yeah, I had, I had um, probably eight years into my um, life in advertising. I'd started to think, I to start with, you start to look around and, and you notice that there aren't very many older people in advertising, which, um, so you think, well, either I'm going to push on and try and become, run the agency or run an agency, or I'm, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and I thought, I don't really want to do that ultimately. So I started to think about starting my own business. And I just had this thing about, um, I came home from a trip from Adidas once and we'd sat around in these meetings talking about the most exciting creative projects around making, designing, selling shoes. And I came back and I needed a pair of shoes for a wedding, a smart black pair of English made shoes and went into a shop in Knightsbridge and it was the dullest, most appallingly old fashioned experience and I just thought, why, you know, why can't there be a bit of creativity and interest and design and involved in that type of shoemaking as well, or that type of shoe? And so it, a little light went on in my head, and I started formulating a plan from there. And from that moment, that little light going on in your head to actually opening your doors of your shop in Chelsea, Kings Road, just on the brow of the hill. Yeah. I, I like it. There's a quote every so often that changes around Imelda Marcus and yeah. pairs of shoes and all the things. I am a geek. You do. I mean, you realise <laughs> I've, I've been stalking you for years, Tim. This, is, this has taken a long time to get you here. Yeah. Um, but what, what was it like when you found that spot and you opened the doors? It was really scary. I mean, it was really scary from driving around in a Porsche 911. Um, I was actually... The Porsche account was account that I was running, so... You chose well, Tim, can I just say? I mean, Adidas <laughs> and Porsche, this is, this yeah. is hardly a, a lad that's not well-heeled yeah. or, <laughs> yeah. or, or or got a nice motor. Well, uh, absolutely. It was um, the, the, the business at the time, Ligas Delaney, was all premium brands, which was, yeah, very nice to work on. But it was really scary, opening the doors. We opened the doors on a Saturday morning in, um, I think it was, well, it was April in '97. And I'd literally walking around an hour before making sure that the logos on the tins of polish were straight and the, every speck of dust, it was absolutely immaculate, opened the doors. This woman walked in who was about 60-odd and um, she looked around for a bit and then she said, how much are the chairs? I said, well, the chairs aren't for sale. And she said, why not? And I said, because it's a shoe shop. And she said, oh, how ridiculous, and walked out. <laughs> So um, it wasn't a great start, but it was it was very scary. But um, it was I knew it was the right thing to do, so it, it felt good. And the context is, of course, along that that strip, there's a lot of furniture shops. Yeah, of that course. was the poor person that got it wrong. <laughs> um, and at what moment post opening the shop did you go? I think I'm going to be all right. This is going to work. If indeed um, you felt that. Well, yeah, I I 
gave myself two years. I thought that if I leave advertising and I'm out for two years, I might be able to get a job back in somewhere else later. And what happened was you, you just get so heavily involved in it when it's your own business and you're fighting to pay the bills and, you know, the bank's knocking on the door that you, it just time disappears and you never, ever really, even today, you never get to a point when you think that's it, it's sorted because there's always something around the corner and there's always a problem, an issue, and there's always cash issues. That's the biggest... With any business, there's always a cash issue. So... Um, the answer really is I never, I never knew. I just drifted on and drifted on and here I am today. He's drifted in here. Uh, it's <laughs> Tim Little at Jazz Shapers at Jazz FM as well and we'll be having, having a lot more chat with Tim and hearing a lot more from him in a couple of minutes. But first we'll hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some words of advice for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the corporate department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance and this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas which the weights principles tackle. The first surrounds the board makeup, but the second area is where I want to focus today. It's about achieving success in business through identifying a strong corporate purpose and setting a values and culture that underpin that purpose. One area that's recognised as being key to this is having strong relations with stakeholders. Businesses these days, particularly large businesses, will need to report in their annual reporting accounts on what mechanisms they have in place to engage with their stakeholders. Stakeholders will include the company's employees, suppliers, customers and financiers. Having strong relationships with your stakeholders will help you attract and retain business, investment and talent. So ask yourself, how do I measure up against the new guidelines? Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are absolutely tons of ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme again with Tim. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today and Tim, he's the founder and CEO of classic luxury shoe brand Tim Little and the owner and credit director of 150-year-old shoemakers, Grenson. So your own business, as you set it up and as you said, you sort of drifted very humbly, you drifted on, drifted on, it strikes me that there's a consistency that a person like you craves, but also you like to innovate. How have you managed those two competing forces through your working life? Because there is, a, there is definitely something that, that ties every single, that literally there is a thread through every shoe that you are involved with. But there's something quite surprising as well along that journey. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's really the crux of the Grenson brand, for example. And, and the, when I started Tim Little, the idea was English shoes without the cobweb. So it was keeping the old what's good about tradition, but updating it and making it relevant. And that's exactly what Grenson's about. And that balance is everything. 
the success or failure to me of the brand is about that mix. If we're too traditional, if we just talk about how we make the shoes in an old factory in, in Northamptonshire, um, and we do pictures of guys with half-moon glasses knocking nails in and all that, all the time we become like a museum brand, a brand that people just buy for nostalgia. On the other hand, if we go too far the other way and don't keep a foot in that camp, um, we become just another shoe brand and there are billions in the world and nobody needs another one. So it's that mix of keeping hold of the bits from our heritage that are important and valuable, but making them relevant and, and um, keeping it on an even keel. You mentioned your dad saying, listen, do accountants so you can do anything you like. And then you talked briefly before about the issue that pretty much every business faces, which is a cash issue. How useful has it been to have been trained in, even if you didn't continue at KPMG after the seven weeks, but you did a degree in it? How useful has that been in terms of all the different things that you have to think about running a business? Yeah, really useful, actually. Um, I think a lot of friends of mine um, have got similar businesses but don't necessarily have that background and they have to rely on other people and that can be difficult. Um, I It's very, very useful. It's almost like a language, you know, reading the, the books of a company and sitting down every month and, and looking at the numbers and the things that you can see in the numbers if you know what you're looking for. Very, very important. So... Um, that, it's been huge, actually. I think I think without that, I, I might not be around doing this right now because um, that's the kind of bedrock of, of what I do. And in terms of your own skill set, it sounds quite wide to me in the sense that you're comfortable with numbers, you utterly understand brand. Is there a weakness? Has Tim Little got a soft spot where he has to help get other people? I talk to lots of people and they go, <laughs> I'm rubbish with people, Elliot, or I'm yeah. terrible with the numbers. What's, what's your, your kryptonite, as it were? Oh, God, so many, so many things. I think the biggest worry that you have is that you, you can do a bit of everything and you don't do anything, you, you know, you don't do one thing well enough. Um, I've got a fantastic team at Grenson, so I can rely on people to do stuff that I'm not very good at. I'm not very good at concentrating for a long time on one particular subject. I love to kind of jump around and have different things going on like a day like today, doing this, talking to you, and then going off and doing something completely different and um, is what I absolutely love. So I think where we have something where I have to focus for two days on one particular subject, I find that very, very difficult. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I've got, you know, trust me, I've got, there are a lot of faults. <laughs> Do, how would they describe Tim Little if Tim Little wasn't in the room at Grenson's and, at, and indeed? The people uh, what, who work at Grenson? Yeah. Well, I, I can't really swear on the radio but um i don't know really i i think you seem easygoing almost cuddly <laughs> no they wouldn't do, they certainly wouldn't say that they certainly wouldn't say that i think probably my thing is i don't get cross or annoyed or hassled until i get to a certain point and then i go for it so I kind of let a lot of things go, and then um, when it gets to the point where I think this needs to be sorted out, then probably I change a little bit. That might be an understatement, but... Um, There's a flash in his eyes, I'm thinking, I'm really yeah, pleased. Yeah. I'm not in the room when he's changing a little bit. Some yeah, exactly. Hulkian view of the world over here. He's gone green, actually. But, okay, well, that's good. Let, don't, 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 don't change on me. No, no, no I I'm okay. I hope I'm I won't okay. annoy you. We've got okay. some more music coming up. It's a, a brilliantly named artist. I hadn't heard of him before. It's Professor Longhair with Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Here we go. Thank you. 
That was Professor Longhair with Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and uh, Tim and I like that. That's. I mean, m- music's a funny old thing in terms of move, moving between one genre and another. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about having set up your own business and then being pulled in to say, listen, we're in trouble. Can you help us? Can you buy us? This was a long, long while ago. Indeed, they were in trouble. You can tell them they weren't. But now you're straddling two worlds where there's a brand that was established in a business m- many years ago and you're now in charge and you've got skin in the game. And then there was the other one which you set up from scratch. Is it a bit like adopting a child? I mean, do you feel the same love for Grenson that you feel for Tim Little? Yeah, very much so, actually. It, 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 if anything, I feel, um, I feel the same amount of love, but I feel more responsibility for Grenson. If something goes wrong at Tim Little, that's fine. That's my thing. I started it, you know, whatever. At Grenson, it's a bit like having a house, almost. You feel like you own it for a period of time. You know, it's not it's your house, but it only for a period of time. Somebody had it before you, somebody will have it after you. And on my screensaver, on my phone, so every time I look at my phone, I've got the founder of Grenson, who is a guy called William Green. And I kind of feel all the time just responsible that when you have an old brand like this, you think, I, I want to do what's the right thing for the brand and for the for the history and the heritage of that brand. And it's very important, and I kind of really bought into that at the beginning. And um, it still kind of is an important thing for me every day. I remember interviewing Emma Bridgewater um, a few years ago, and we were talking about the potteries and Stoke and that incredible tradition of of making pottery of ceramics. Northampton is likewise the same for shoes in this country, as I understand it. Is there also a... What's your feeling, without being too emotional, we can start getting some tissues out, it's quite warm anyway. What is your feeling as you walk around that factory and you see people doing things, or the, do you connect with that? Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I grew up walking around um, a factory with my dad, um, a textile factory, but 100%, you know, they're, they're incredible people. They're all craftspeople. Most of them have probably spent up to five years learning to do what they do properly, um, and they're very rare skills these days. And every day I can walk into that factory and see them actually making a shoe. And you see the, the, the leather come in one end and it goes out the other end as a pair of shoes. It's literally skin to box. So, um, it's yeah, it's an amazing thing to, to watch and to have that around you all the time um, and to know the characters who are making those shoes and know that they've got skills that have been handed down from people 150 years ago originally all the way down to the present day. So, yeah, it's, it's the heart and soul of the business. And is making stuff really nice as a juxtaposition to talking about stuff, which was the world of advertising? Is that something also that you felt very comfortable with and, and enjoyed? Very much, very much. It was the one thing I missed at Adidas was that by the time we got involved in a project, the shoe had been designed, everything had kind of been formed. And doing everything right from the beginning, for me, is really important. And starting off by... Because you start when you have a marketing background, you sit down to design a shoe, and you don't just have a piece of paper set. Let's design a nice shoe. You've got all kinds of things going on in your head about what would be what would be a great shoe, what would be a good story. What if we use this special kind of leather that nobody's used before? Um, what if we use a vegan leather, which we're using at the moment? Um, all kinds of different things go on. Um, but it's lovely to be there right at the beginning, where you sit down with a blank piece of paper and just say, "Let's do something." Well, also that thought you said, you know, I, I wasn't going to go into the credit department of an advertising agency because they, you know, that wasn't going to happen. You're essentially now the credit director. 
Um, your influences, I read somewhere, are quite wide and varied in terms of what influences the design. Just tell me a little bit about where those come from. Well, uh, as you, I'm sure you know as well, um, every account man in advertising is a frustrated creative. No, and... <laughs> that's, that can't be true, Tim. <laughs> um, and we, you know, you spend 10 years kind of thinking, oh, I could have done that better. But um, no, I think uh, the design side is really important to me. Uh, personally, I absolutely love it. And it's very, very much part. And I think starting my original business was about me saying I to myself, I think there's a better way of designing a shoe like that. Take a classic English shoe. I think there's a nicer way. I don't think they're that well designed. I think there could be a more interesting. So it was having a point of view rather than having a skill, a design skill. I didn't have any background. Um, but that point of view about how things could be designed better was very important. And as time's gone on, I've just been more and more and more involved in the design process. Probably come away from it a little bit more now because I have people, uh, designers who work for us, um, but very, very much involved as a creative director and briefing things in. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest there. It's Tim Little. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Robert Glasper Experiment. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Another one I love here on Jazz Shapers, that was Robert Glasper Experiment with Calls. Just for a few more minutes, I've got the pleasure of Tim Little's company. You've now been working in the Grenson business, been owning the Grenson business for nine years or so. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. What does the next nine years or the next phase hold for you in terms of how you're going to grow the business? We've got various things that we're, we always look at in terms of things that we think are going to grow, could grow really quickly. Um, Generally, you know, my, my bedrock is always more of the same because the business is doing very well um, and it's kind of more of the same as the starting point. And then to say, what are the things that we think are big opportunities? I think the biggest one at the moment that's been taking off is women's. So we introduced women's probably four or five years ago and we're a very masculine kind of brand and we've been a menswear brand for 150 years. It's a factory. It's all of that traditional English shoe kind of thing. Um, so launching women's was was a stretch at the beginning. Um, but in the last kind of year, 18 months, it's really taken off. And I think that's a huge opportunity. And we've got to be very careful how we manage that. Mm. But um, it's re really exciting. Which bit gives you the most joy? It's obvious that you love what you do. And you have since you probably made took the plunge and did it yourself. But are, are there moments when it's sort of that inflow feeling where you're just going, Am I, I'm not even working? This is just going really well. Is it the design bit? Is it the watching consumers actually purchase stuff? Yeah, there are little things like seeing somebody on the tube in a pair of our shoes and thinking that's exciting and remembering two years ago when that was on a piece of paper. Um, but I think really for me it's that thing again about the mix of everything, being able to be sitting in a design meeting one minute 
the next minute being in the factory talking to somebody about how a certain element of the shoe isn't working because the seam, they need to change the seam and is it okay to do it? Um, all the way through to, you know, talking about a shop lease, you know, on a, on a new store in Soho or whatever. I don't want to do a lot of that, but I do like it as a distraction. I do find it interesting. So I think for me, it's, it's having the whole thing together, the mix of it all, but also having a hand in every little bit of the business and feeling responsible for it all. So, yeah, it's the whole, whole thing. There's one actually not far from this building, you know, Maid, is it Maid Street? Maid Street, Maid the Street, little cut-through, right. yeah. little cut-through, um, and I walk past it on my way yeah. here every time. Very pretty show. Nice. Yeah. I stop and have a little peep and go, not today, hold on, <laughs> can't afford another pair. Um, and tell me about money. I mean, these shoes are, you know, shoes you sell are not, not cheap. We haven't spoken about money once in this conversation, which yeah. in itself is quite um, Good. revealing. Good. <laughs> Do you care about it? Is it nice to, to make more each year? What, Personally? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, there's two sides to money, I think. There's money in a business, um, and money in a business is about making um, enough money that the business can then evolve and grow. I think what people don't, re- a lot of people who don't have a business think that if you make a profit, then you put that profit in your pocket and go and buy a boat, and that's it. And then next year, if you make a profit again, you do the same. But you don't do that. To grow, you need the money up front because you pay for everything up front before you get paid for it. So if we want the business to be 20% bigger next year, we have to make a certain amount of profit this year to be able to do that, and that's choices. So money is very important in the business for that reason, for growth and to be able to do the things we want to do. Personally, yeah, it's the, I'm the same as anybody else. I don't have a particularly extravagant lifestyle, but it's as somebody once said badly paraphrased you know it's better to be rich than poor mm. you know it's i've been both and and it's more fun to be you know it's nice <laughs> the, the porsche to... was more fun than the tube yeah exactly well i'm on a scooter now so uh, yeah those <laughs> days have gone i actually like it but yeah no it's not it's not the be on a, an end all for me but um it's certainly very important in the business to make a healthy profit to be able to grow the business and push it on and hire new people and do all those kind of things it's been a pleasure talking to you tim good luck with Grenson, with Tim Little. Have fun. Continue to make lovely shoes, which I like to, to buy. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to my next pair. Uh, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, the song choice is an old classic that I've always loved by John Lee Hooker. He's probably my all-time favourite blues musician. I'm a big blues fan. It's called Whiskey and Women. And the reason I chose it was when I first started making shoes and opened that store in Chelsea... Um, I decided, because he was my hero, to send him a pair of shoes. Got in touch with his agent. He said, send a pair of shoes. And we sent them over. And then we got this message back. There were a pair of loafers. And all of my Tim Little shoes are named after blues songs. And this is a pair of loafers. And they were called, by chance, Whiskey and Women, which is one of his songs. And he apparently, his agent said, as he pulled them on, he saw inside it said Whiskey and Women and he thought I'd done that especially for him and, and, and thought that was very funny and laughed about it. So, yeah, it, it's very special to me as a song. Whiskey and Women I'm going my life Whiskey and Women I'm going my life that was Whiskey and Women by John Lee Hooker, the song choice of my business shaper today, Tim Little. Someone who has applied the basic principles of building a brand with great effect. 
someone who has a point of view. He talked about the importance of having one of those when you're actually making a product. And someone who loved the mix of everything he does, whether it's looking at the numbers, whether it's dealing with people, or whether indeed it's creating the next brilliant pair of shoes. You can hear our conversation with Tim all over again whenever you'd like to, as a podcast. Just search Jazz Shapers or ask your smart speaker to play Jazz Shapers. Or if you're up bright and early Monday morning, you can catch this programme again just before the business breakfast at 5am. We're back next Saturday from 9 with our next business shaper, Claudine Adayemi, founder and CEO of Career Ear, a careers advice and recruitment platform enabling employers to engage with young, diverse, quality talent. Up next after news at 10, it's Nigel Williams. He's got more music, interviews and live sessions too. That's it from Jazz Shapers and me. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.